Hello, and welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where you and your unique business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Rob Chestnut. Rob was general counsel and chief ethics officer with Airbnb, preceded by stints as a federal prosecutor and founder and head of the trust and safety department at eBay. His new book is Intentional Integrity, How Smart Companies Can Lead an Ethical Revolution. Welcome to the podcast, Rob. I'm delighted to have you here. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Ursula. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. So um, I'm so interested to delve into this topic with you because it's so much a part of um, having impact, of having a, a positive influence in the world. And But there's some aspects I wanted to explore with you. And, and uh, you talk about in your book... Um, intentional integrity. You talk about making rules as a way to enforce integrity practices. And one of the things I wondered, and this may be my bias as an entrepreneur, but does rulemaking interfere with creativity and innovation, or does it provide a framework within which that can all take place? Yeah, you know, I I think rules provide some specificity. And I think that's the I think the message for me is a little less of a focus on the rule and more on leaders talking specifically about what integrity means and why it's important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are times where providing rules uh, actually, I think, frees people up a little bit because there could be a lack of understanding. I'll give you an example. Um, Can you uh, can uh, can you have a romantic relationship with someone else at work? Well, I think in the absence of some clarity on the subject, everyone is free to do what they think is right. And unfortunately, uh, that has led to a lot of problems mm-hmm. because I think in a, in a world of ambiguity and silence around these sorts of issues, you know, we've seen people uh, you know, come to their own conclusions about what they think is appropriate and often uh, it ends up getting them in a lot of trouble and, and hurting a company. Yeah. So, you know, by addressing the issue directly, I think you actually, you save a lot of time. You, you know, you, you provide clarity to everyone on the issue. And it, I think it ends up over time, you'll spend less on the issue uh, because you've taken a little time up front to provide clarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know in the book you say ambiguity is the enemy of integrity, and I uh, I think that it it does give some guidance for people because otherwise it becomes a cloudy kind of self determination of values, and it's like authenticity in a way. I mean, there's yes, you can be authentic and behave appallingly, or you can be authentic and and behave with integrity. So. Well- there, there's science behind this, you know, and I, I spent some time with Dan Ariely out at Duke University. You know, mm-hmm. And it, what, what Dan taught me is that, you know, in the absence of 
of conversation around integrity in, in the absence of some specificity or guidance. Um, everybody tends to fudge. They tend to um, make decisions that are consistent with their own self-interest. And they're, they, they, they end up rationalizing their decisions and their behavior. Right. And, you know, the ambiguity you know, the, and silence create an environment where that sort of thing is possible. Whereas if, if you have a if you directly talk about integrity and you provide some specificity, uh, it, it, that, that clarity means that um, the fudging doesn't happen because you know, now people can't rationalize why their behavior is okay because they, they've been told that, look, this isn't the way that we're gonna do business here. Right. Yeah, and I think it's, it's difficult in, uh, with social media, there's been a real blurring between professional and personal lives. I mean, I think in the past, people had quite distinct even identities, if not experiences, because their lives were quite separated. Whereas now, I mean, with the social media and, and uh, the internet, it's, it's really difficult to um, have things separated in that way. So sure. you know, yeah. work used to be where you wore your suit, right? Right. Yeah. And then you came home, you took off the suit and you weren't at work anymore. And, yeah. you know, and wow, with the pandemic, has that changed? <laughs> right? And now work is at home. Now we've completely yeah. flipped. Yeah. And you're always at work. Well, and cultural norms have shifted too. Is, is, do you see that as an influence as well? Uh, you know what? I think that um, I see a move toward in greater integrity. And I think it's come from the fact that there's so much transparency now. You know, when I was growing up, there were three news stations. And if you wanted information about a company, you know, I, I had to go back to my parents' bedroom and pull out an Encyclopedia Britannica. Right. Uh, and the volume might be 10 years old. Um, you know, today, everybody's their own news station. You know, everybody's got a way that they can communicate with the world, you know, through their blog, through their Facebook page, through their LinkedIn page. You know, there's, you know we've all got a, a camera crew that follows us everywhere. It's called our telephone. Mm -hmm. And we, you right. know, you can video something and instantly upload it. So I, I think, you know, in the old days, I used to say that integrity is what you do, doing the right thing, even when no one is watching. You know, today, somebody's always watching. Mm. And I, I think that's created an environment where um, things don't stay hidden yeah. like they used to. Right. Things tend to get out. Yeah. Now, on the one hand, that means that it seems like we are uh, we're living in a world where there's no integrity because there's constantly uh, a new problem that's, you know, being where there's a new buzz and being written about it. On the other hand, I think what it's doing is that we're all slowly learning that since the world's always watching, um, behavior better change. Mm -hmm. the expectations are, have risen. Uh, more is expected of leaders and more is expected of companies now. Yeah. I mean, I would hope that people um, choose integrity as a value as opposed to, I mean, you make a really good business case in the book for why you should be paying attention to integrity issues. But um, for me, this seems integral in the values that you establish for a company. And that's really important for companies that are interested in 
having impact that are wanting to have a positive effect on things, having clear values and what that stands for um, is really well, important to me. So that's the good news. I mean, the good news is you don't have to choose. And I think uh, in the old days, it was almost like, well, we've got to choose between doing the right thing or doing what is good for the business. And I think, you know, the old days was, you know, business is a dog eat dog world. Right. Yeah. Uh, the good news is that I think doing the right thing and doing what's financially smart are often the same thing. You know, companies are now learning that, you know, if, if you operate with integrity and purpose, the data shows that you're going to outperform the market and you're going to outperform your competitors. Yeah. So the, I'd love it if people did things simply because they felt it was the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, I, I, the good news is we don't have to rely on that. We can, we can say to everybody, hey, look, doing the right thing is, is going to benefit you in the long run. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, in that realm of, of um, being committed to integrity and, and choosing that as a value, uh, whatever your reasons are, what are some of the things that you can look for in your company culture that are going to indicate that there might be an issue that you need to keep an eye on? Well, you start right at the top because uh, I think integrity is, the leaders are the thermostat for integrity. Hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, a thermometer takes the temperature of the room, a thermostat sets it. And if leaders operate with integrity, uh, that creates an environment that everyone else in the company operates in. And it, it sets a tone. In other words, integrity is contagious. Yeah. But so is a lack of integrity. So if you want to see what a company's culture is like from an integrity perspective, um, spend some time looking at the leader. I, I'm suspicious of leaders that have a big ego. Mm. Uh, I, I generally find that leaders that operate with humility um, are often, uh, you know, less driven by, you know, what's good for them, uh, and and more about what's good for broader group of stakeholders. So, uh, you know, look, look to your to the leader of a company. Study them, and I think that will give you real clues about what the company's like. And you also ask people to think about everybody in the company, ideally being a, a guardian of the brand in terms of ethics. And that's a it puts people, I think, in a difficult position when you have to. Uh, I think maybe it goes all the way back to grade school where you don't tattle on people. It's you know it's not the right thing to do, but in, in the absence of people sharing information about what they see going on, it's pretty tough to identify issues and then do something about them. Well, you know, you, you have to get away from this idea of loyalty. Like, I don't want to say anything about so-and-so because they're my boss and I want to be loyal to my boss. Mm -hmm. I, I think you, I look for companies that build a culture where speaking up is actually valued, rewarded, and where you know you you owe it to the company, you're doing the right thing. You're helping the company by raising questions, and and I think that's the sort of environment that where, where you're less likely to have a major blow up. Many you know, whistleblowers uh, become whistleblowers because they're ignored, mm -hmm. because they feel as though they don't have a place to share their concerns, right? And where their concerns aren't appreciated. You know, you, 
Um, there is no such thing as a problem uh, as long as it's raised early. Hmm. Uh, you know, the, the biggest problems are the things that fester that no one wants to talk about, uh, where you know, there's discomfort in raising the, the ethical question around it. Uh, you know, that's where you see things like Volkswagen and Boeing uh, and, and you know, WeWork and the like. So I, I, I really look at, let's build a culture where speaking up is rewarded. Um, I like to tell a story. There's a, um, we, we had open desking at Airbnb. Uh, which you know meant I was in a room working at a stand-up desk with you know lots of people all around. Mm-hmm. So I'm standing at my desk one day. A guy comes up to me and introduces himself, and he's a mid-level manager in IT. And you know we we exchange hellos. He said to me, Rob, I couldn't help but notice when you left your desk a little while ago, you didn't shut down your computer screen. You didn't lock your screen. You left mm-hmm. your screen open. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, boy. And I, I admit my first reaction to myself was a little defensive. Right. right? I'm being called out for a security violation. <laughs> and it's like, look, there was nothing on my screen that was confidential. You know, we're in a building where everybody's badged and there's security guards and there's no harm. I was only gone for a few minutes to go to the restaurant. Come on. Yeah. Then I thought, you know what? What kind of courage did it take for a mid-level manager to walk up to an executive team member? and call them out like that. And he yeah. did it in a very nice way. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. I'm actually pretty excited to work at a company where people are comfortable nicely walking up and raising something like this. So, you know what, I, I, I thanked him and, you know, and told him he was absolutely right and that I needed to do a better job of setting an example in an area like this because I was in a position of leadership. And you know, I, I later told the story to a large group of people at the company and called him out in a positive way and gave him an award. Mm, wow. That sort of thing lets everybody know, hey, it's okay to raise your hand. It's okay if you see something that doesn't look right. It's okay to talk about it. Uh, and I, I, that's, to me, um, you know, what you're trying to build in a company. Well, it sets a really great example for um and, you know, it's a human reaction to, to not want to be called out. But then to turn that around and say, well, this is really something you want to encourage, that you want to yeah. consciously see, show people that not only is this okay, it's something that is to be rewarded or, or uh, praised. That's it. Yeah. Well, um in, in the book, you talk about a number of things that could derail your mission in the form of integrity violations. And you talk about things like data privacy and conflicts of interest and the touching on the loyalty issue that you already mentioned, uh, bribery and gifts, that kind of thing. And I know in the book you talk about, I think it was Airbnb, and correct me if I'm wrong, that has the $200 gift limit. Right. Um, that was kind of an interesting discussion, I think, because some companies go for this zero tolerance, absolutely no, uh, no gifts at all. And uh, as a general policy, do you, 
what do you think about zero tolerance? Is that is that a way to go? Because that's been the response of a lot of companies yeah. to say, absolutely, we're not allowing anything that might even have a whiff of an integrity violation. I, I don't like it. I, I there, there's a harshness to it. And I think there's a uh, zero tolerance doesn't appreciate nuance and gray. Mm-hmm. And there's so much of nuance and gray when you're talking about ethical issues. You know, when, let, let, take the issue of gifts. You know, can you accept a gift from a vendor? Um, I think the answer is, uh, it depends on your company, what kind of business you're in and whether it makes sense for your model. Um, and you know, I think in the book, I compared Walmart with Airbnb. Like, you know, Walmart has a rule that they don't want any gifts. They don't want their, their employees taking any gifts. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, you know, I've been in a meeting at, with folks from Walmart where if you give them a bottle of water, they pull a dollar out of their pocket to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because Walmart's mission is all around low prices every day for its customers. Right. And if their employees are accepting gifts, ultimately the cost of those gifts is going to be reflected back into the cost of goods. So for Walmart, that makes a lot of sense. But take Airbnb. Airbnb's mission is to connect human beings, to have a a world where when you travel, you travel in an immersive way where you meet people locally, stay in neighborhoods. And connecting human beings often involves sharing of hospitality, buying Mm -hmm. somebody a cup of coffee, sharing a meal with somebody. So at Airbnb, you know, we didn't want that sort of thing to be forbidden. So we set up more of a reasonable rule, you know, that that you can accept something like that from a third party as long as the value isn't excessive, you know, as long as the value is under $200. You know, we provide specificity, uh, but we create, you know, a, make it reasonable to reflect what our mission is. Yeah. Yeah, it, it makes sense. I mean, you, it's a mindful approach that reflects the brand in a really fundamental way. Yeah, which is great. Well, one of the things that you list in this, uh, among the, the things that will de- derail your mission is, of course, sexual harassment and assault. And um, I wonder about uh, situations where there are companies that involve themselves in having payments and non-disclosure agreements to make the problem go away. The problem meaning that there's been something that's taken place. And uh, I'm thinking specifically of uh, the Harvey Weinstein, Weinstein Company situation that's covered in a couple of books, Catch and Kill and She Said. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of that kind of practice of, of payments and NDAs? Well, you know, we thought about that at Airbnb. What struck me was that pattern, right, where all employee claims like that are, are forced into mandatory arbitration where things are secret. And then the cases are, are settled. And as part of the settlement, there are non-disclosure agreements that force the victims into silence. Yeah. I think that sort of thing reflects more poorly on the company than the fact that harassment occurred. Yeah. Uh, you know, so what we talked about is, look, our employees are important to us. Why not let the employees have a choice of whether to go to court or, or arbitration? Uh, if they're more, if, if they want to, to go to a more public forum, that's fine. We, you know, we should never be 
afraid of transparency. And I think transparency is the great deodorant. And that, you know, that's why we decided, you know, look, if, if there is a settlement with an employee, we will, as a matter of our policy, not require or even ask for an NDA. The employee, even with a settlement, should be free to talk about the underlying facts. And, you know, might there be some embarrassing allegations at some point because somebody does something wrong? Well, yeah, uh, humans aren't perfect and there may be issues. But I, I'd rather have that than to face allegations that we're covering things up. Uh, and I, I think I, I, I want to operate like everything's going to become public. And I think ultimately that forces everybody, you know, that raises the bar. Uh, and I think that that level of transparency uh, will ultimately serve a company well. Yeah. Yeah, it goes back to that transparency issue we were talking about earlier. I was surprised to read that in the U.S. that uh, while sexual harassment is not always a crime, although sexual assault is, um, it's illegal for companies to tolerate it. I didn't realize there was such a, a legal there was such legal teeth behind that, at least in a lot of jurisdictions. It yeah, I mean, what, but what ends up happening is there's a civil liability, and part of it may not be fair. I mean, a, a company, in, in that a company uh, can do so much to try to prevent sexual harassment, but then when uh, one individual goes off and behaves irresponsibly, the company is still held liable. Yeah. And often, and, and that's fine, but the, often the individual isn't held responsible. Right? It's the company that ends up you know, paying damages and the company that's, uh, that I think pays uh, the, the price for it. And what I would really love to see is more uh, of an individual to be held responsible for their actions in these circumstances yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, because you know, th their behavior is the one that, that is you know, often so appalling. And I look, I, uh, I, I, think we may well see a world in the future where uh, the individual may be subject to damages or maybe even criminal action for, for their behavior. And I'm yeah. okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that issue of responsibility is an important one. And even knowing the legal implications for the company might be further impetus to put a ethics statement and, and monitoring and um, following up on complaints, uh, have that be taken seriously. So I'm sure that was probably the intention behind that. Well, given the uh, current environment and the, the current U.S. federal government ban on diversity training, would a focus on diversity and equity issues in the context of integrity be an important topic to, to oh. address? I, I noticed it wasn't among the, the 10 things to derail, that might derail your mission, so I... Well, I, I spent a whole chapter, I think, in the book, actually, on the on the importance of diversity and how it ties. Yeah. To, I think it was its own separate area. You know, what you I, did. You did. You don't yeah. want. I just don't think you ever want to be in a situation where you're walking into rooms and everybody looks the same, yeah. uh, right? And everybody's got the same background. You miss so many things that way. You know, and like Airbnb, uh, I, I think everybody at Airbnb would acknowledge that we missed um, that we missed the discrimination issue. Uh, you know, back in 2016, 
there were allegations that guests were being discriminated against on Airbnb mm -hmm. by some host. And it caught the company by surprise. And I think one of the reasons it caught people by surprise in the company is that the company wasn't as diverse as it needed to be. Look, you know, look I have never been discriminated against. So it wasn't something that was top of mind for me. But I think if we had had more people in the room who had been discriminated against, we would have anticipated the issue. Uh, and, and, and I think uh, as a result, I think we had to catch up a little bit on it, which I think we've, we've done a lot of work on the issue since, since that time and also become a lot more diverse. But you, you, what makes you, what is different about you is your strength. And I think companies need to appreciate that. That, that different people bring different things to the table. And if you've got a bunch of people in a room and they all agree and they've all got the same background, then you're really not accomplishing much in the meeting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all kinds of business reasons for diversity as well. And better financial performance just uh, on a number of measures, sure. just on the basis of having a diversity of, of views and perspectives. Well, one of the, the things that I mean, I deal with a lot of startup companies and I was really interested to read uh, your thoughts on the risks in startups about whether CEOs or, or founders have enough maturity and even integrity to deal with difficult ethical dilemmas. Um, I know you mentioned venture capital firms are starting to look at founder ethics as a success predictor, which I think is a great move in that direction but right. what do you what are your thoughts on that i think that i think that's a good move and i i do see that uh venture capitalists are looking at that but i also think we got to look the other way and that is a lot of these entrepreneurs don't have much experience in business mm -hmm. they don't know and they are frequently heavily influenced by their investors and by the venture capitalists who will, will sit on their board and if the venture capitalist is uh, only pushing them to get big fast yeah. and to make a lot of money. Uh, should we be shocked that the entrepreneurs focus then almost exclusively on money and will cut ethical corners in order to get big? And what I think we need is we need those venture capitalists to be a, an ethical influence and to take that on when they mentor an entrepreneur, um, sure, they need to teach them business. Sure, they need to encourage them to make good financial decisions. But I think they've also got to encourage them to do the right thing as well, mm -hmm. because um, the, these entrepreneurs need coaching and will look up to the venture capitalist. And I think we should expect more from venture capitalists in this area. Hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, that's an interesting perspective. I hadn't really thought about it in those terms. I was putting the onus more on the entrepreneurs and founders to really look at what they see. But I I agree. I think both supporting each other would be would be really valuable. And it's kind of a reflection of the larger questions around business, rather than this you know Milton Friedman-esque monolithic focus on profits at the expense of everything else, and therefore shareholder supremacy. It's um, not always driving for growth, but rather looking at business in the larger context of, of uh, uh, integrity and, and society is, is really important as well. Yeah, well, look, look at WeWork. I mean, you know, the, the, the founder of WeWork 
you know, very, you know, very young, inexperienced. Um, and then you have the chairman of SoftBank who put in, you know, huge sums of money into WeWork. And what sort of advice did the chairman of SoftBank give, you know, to Adam Newman, you know, the, the founder of WeWork? Mm -hmm. he, he would go to, he, he would go to Adam, according to, you know, all the published accounts and say things like, um, I don't want to make a nice little company. I want a big bang. Right. He would look at Adam and say, Adam, in a, in a fight, who wins, the, uh, the, the smart guy or the crazy guy? And Adam would say, the crazy guy. And, you know, Matsuyoshi would say, that's right. You need to be more crazy. <laughs> if, if that's the kind of guidance you're getting from the, you know, the, the chairman of the, of the firm that's investing in you, and that's what they're exhorting you to do, can we be surprised when, you know, when we work, you know, basically blows up over a series of, of ethical problems? Yeah, I, I'd like to touch more on um, reporting integrity violations. And you know, we've talked some about that already, but it kind of begs the question of what role do bystanders have in this? If you're not actively involved, but you see it going on, um, how do you, what kind of responsibility do people have? I mean, there's a, there's an obvious answer to that question, but I think there's more, there's more to it. Well, again, it's a lot of, it's about the, the kind of culture, um, you know, you want an environment where we all, we all feel that we've got ownership over the culture of a company and, wh and it, it, whether the company has integrity. And that means, I think we've all got to be willing to raise our hand and speak up. You know, for me, it is about anticipating what sort of ethical situations might you be confronted with, and are you ready to respond in the moment? Because a lot of times it's a tough decision in the moment. Like, what do I say? What do I do? And the moment's yeah. gone. Um, but you know, like I've made a decision about what I'm going to do if I am, am present and witness you know, inappropriate sexual remarks to somebody else. Um, and, it, and it's so important, particularly for a leader, because, again, I'm the thermostat. So if I say nothing, everyone present will assume that it's okay. Yeah. So I've got to be ready. And in the moment, I've got to, you know, I've got to speak up. It's, all, it's part of my job as a leader. Do you think that there's any kind of negative effect on trust within a, a company's culture when you've, you've got a reporting uh, structure where people can bring things to people's attention to relating well, I to integrity. I think it builds trust. I, mm. I think the, you know, I, I had people come and tell me, Oh, Rob, I don't think we've got any integrity issues. We, we've got a hotline and we hardly ever get any reports. Mm. And I say, look, that's the first sign of a problem because you know, there are ethical issues, integrity issues, small ones that come up all the time at companies. And the question is, are people talking about them? Are people getting advice on them? Now, you know, a hotline is great. Everybody need, every company needs a hotline. But the danger of a hotline is that leadership says, oh, thank goodness we've got that hotline. Now we don't have to worry anymore. You've really got to put out the welcome mat. You've got to create an environment where people have multiple avenues to ask questions and raise concerns. You know, at Airbnb, we created a program of ethics advisors, you know, they're like ambassadors, and they're not lawyers. 
They're not HR people because people can be intimidated by lawyers. You know, they don't want to go to legal. They don't want to be a whistleblower. Sure. Um, so what we did is we got a group of people who were, look, they're in engineers, they're in customer support, they're in finance, they're in sales, but they're interested in ethics and they got good judgment. And we give them extra training. And then we tell people, look, you know, there's a hotline, there's an HR person, but there's also somebody on your team that you can go to if you've got questions and concerns. And guess which avenue at Airbnb would get the most use? It was the ethics advisors because people are far more comfortable asking somebody on their team. You know, that's not as big a deal. It's sure. more comfortable to them. Um, and I think that's what you want. You, you've got to go out of your way to create different avenues. Uh, you know, hotlines are great. You know, there, there are also some startup companies that are doing some really interesting things to make hotlines more user-friendly. Uh, there's one called Vault, for example, that I really like, that makes it an app on your phone. Where, look, because people are a lot more comfortable using an app on their phone. And the phone's always with them, as right. opposed to trying to, you know, click through the corporate intranet and try to find something there. So mm -hmm. there are lots of different things you can do. But you've got to make that effort to put out the welcome mat. Yeah. Well, you talk about nurturing empathy. And this is something that your wife, Jill, has, um, I mean, she's been really involved in, right. in helping um, some sexual harassment victims, but that whole essence of the issue is even as a bystander, if you can, uh, if you can be empathetic to whoever is, is receiving bad treatment, for example, that's, that seems to me an, an important focus of company culture that needs to be cultivated. Yeah. I mean, I, I think too often victims don't have any place to go. You know, they yeah. feel like they can't go to lawyer or they can't go to the legal department because they don't want an investigation. Sometimes they need somebody just to talk to. And, you know, I think making resources available for people to get that kind of advice is, is important as well. But look, companies got to make it clear that they want that information and they've got to earn the trust of employees so that employees believe and understand that when matters are brought forward, that they are going to be taken seriously and that the company is going to listen empathetically and not be defensive uh, and, and that they are going to follow through, investigate and take action regardless of the, the level or the nature of the, the individual who is, may be the perpetrator. Mm. Well, we, we've spent most of our time talking about, um, things happening within the company involving employees, but there's another level to this too. There are the customers that you choose to deal with. And uh, something you say in the book, I thought this was a great quote, who you do business with defines you. So Patagonia, for example, there's an example of how they disqualified a customer that aren't in alignment with them. Could you talk more about that? And, and also about what's the role of community standards, especially online, because I think that gets really complicated. Well, I think, you know, I, I've looked at this a lot because I've been at, at a number of different platform companies. Mm -hmm. What's the role of a platform? Uh, in other words, you know, can a platform like an eBay or YouTube, uh, can they simply say, we're only a platform, 
we're not responsible for the content of what people post on, like say Facebook or YouTube and the like. And, and I, I think for a, a while, that, that's where these companies want to go, right? They wanna be, uh, they, they don't want to deal with it. And I understand that, but the, the problem is uh, the world's not letting you get away with that, right? Yeah. Uh, the, you, you cannot allow your platform to be uh, used to amplify hatred, misinformation, uh, and the like. And if you do, whether you like it or not, it becomes your brand. That's what yeah. you're known for. Yeah. Look, because that, that hatred, that misinformation, it's hosted on your site. It's framed by your logo. Uh, you are making money from it. And therefore, the, the world is pushing platforms to take more and more responsibility for things that are hosted on that platform. Mm -hmm. And I, I, look, I think the, the, the approach has got to be uh, embrace it. Uh, you, know, you, you know, you should want your business to play a positive, you know, play, you know, play a positive role in the world. And why would you want your platform to be used to amplify those sorts of messages? Yeah. So I think that's why you're seeing Facebook's been forced in this area. And I think they didn't act quickly enough. I think Twitter, mm -hmm. uh, YouTube have been more aggressive. And I think that's been to their benefit. Yeah, I agree. I think it contributes to a better perception of the company and, and more trust. And in a situation where people are sharing personal information of various kinds, it's uh, it's really valuable to build on that instead of just protecting a, a stance. And um, you know, I wonder sometimes if if tech companies are led by folks who are more focused on getting tech solutions to problems and not so much on the larger uh, context. Well, I I think some of this goes back to what's the purpose of a company, and you know the Milton Friedman. You know, concept that well, it's to make money. Mm -hmm. It's to make money for shareholders. Focus on shareholders, and I think well, too many people that that's been drilled into too many people for decades. And I think only recently has it become discredited as people realize, well, well why? You know, shareholders are important, but why should the sole focus be on investors and shareholders? You know, don't don't companies owe something to their employees? Don't they owe something to customers? Don't they owe something to the communities where they operate? And I think as, um, as we are now uh, starting to embrace this broader shareholder, this, this broader stakeholder vision of why mm -hmm. a company exists, uh, I think that will uh, start to reorient leaders uh, around you know, how companies should be you know, reacting in these situations. Well, Rob, I always, uh, I always end these interviews with uh, a rapid round of three questions around impact. Are you, uh, are you game to do that? Let's do it. I'm ready. Right. Great. So the first question is, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? Uh, I think for me, it's that I can. Hmm. You know, I, I think, you know, in, you know, for me, I think it was uh, embrace the fact that uh, we've all got the ability to have an impact and not maybe not just an ability, but for, for me, it's 
uh, almost an obligation. Uh, and it's, I think, sort of embracing the fact that, you know, I can do it, uh, have, uh, have the, uh, the uh, energy and the confidence to embrace the potential uh, and, and, and really uh, not accept any limits. This is something I think my mom drilled into me. You know, it's great when you have parents who believe in you. And, you know, I, I think I was really fortunate to have that. Uh, so I, I think learning in life that um, having an impact is something that's very rewarding and something that's important for all of us to embrace uh, is, is to me a very powerful concept. Yes, absolutely. Well, the next question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? I think it's a curiosity. You know, you um, constantly being open to doing new things uh, and to learning about new things. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, uh, this is one of the things I admire about Brian Chesky, the founder of Airbnb. You know, I'm always wanting to learn. I, I think you, you can't ever get into a, a mindset where you feel like you know something. Uh, you know, I, I, I got into that a little bit when I started writing the book. Uh, but the book turned out to be a learning journey. Uh, you know, it, it turned out to be less me telling people what I know and more a journey of learning a lot of things in the process of writing the book. So I, I, I would recommend to anybody uh, adopting a, a learning mindset, a mindset of, you know, be active in the world, embrace learning, embrace new experiences. What did you learn when you were writing the book? Well, you know, one of the things was that, you know, I thought the world, I thought there were people that had integrity and people that don't have integrity, right? And that's when you know, I, I spent some time with Dan Ariely at Duke, who really taught me this idea that integrity is something that you don't necessarily have or don't have. It's something that all of us struggle with. You know, all of us have, you know, a... a a good wolf and a bad wolf inside of us, right? Mm -hmm. that, that, that is constantly fighting with, with every circumstance that we, we encounter. And it's really a lot about what sort of choices do you make when you're confronted with these ethical dilemmas? And um, what do you do to feed the good wolf? Right. What do you do to be ready in those ethical situations to make a good decision? Um, or do you drift without intentionality and really engage in a lot of rationalizations about why the bad decision uh, is, is okay to do? Hmm. I like that perspective on integrity. It's something you have to be constantly conscious of and intentional about in order to continue to exhibit integrity, if not yeah. have it. Yeah. Well, the last question is, what's one piece of advice or an insight you'd share with someone who's asking, how can I have more impact? How can I have a, a more positive influence in the world? Well, I, I think let's go back to, to, to an, another word that, that you just used, intentionality. Hmm. Um, you know, I, 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 I talk to a lot of people who, um, who could drift a little bit. You know, they, they say they want to have impact. But um, what are they actually doing um, to, to make that happen? Uh, so often, 
um, I, I think it's it can be a little discouraging, right? Well, well, I tried, but um, so for me, it would be uh, have a purpose, have a North Star, and then don't be easily deterred. Uh, having an impact isn't always easy. If it were, then everybody would do it. <laughs> right. But I think you have to believe in yourself. Um, you have to believe in what your your purpose, your North Star is. And then you got to go after it with intentionality. Uh, and I think that if you do that and you really commit yourself to it, uh, you, you, you can surprise yourself. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Well, Rob, thank you so much for being here today. It's been a really interesting exploration of integrity. And I, I this is going to stay with me for a while, what you just said about how it's not something you have, it's something you constantly are tending to. And uh, yeah. you've really shown us some ways that businesses can do that as well. So thank you for sharing all of that. Well, I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, my pleasure. Well, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, well, I've got a website, uh, www.intentionalintegrity.com, which, of course, is the, the name of the book, Intentional Integrity. You can also reach out to me on LinkedIn. I do a post about integrity uh, almost every day and you know, welcome people who want to follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn. Excellent. Excellent. Great. Well, thanks so much again, Rob, and thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Great. Take care. Thank you for joining me. If you want to discover more about your impact, you can schedule a business impact assessment with me. That's 75 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Just email me at Ursula at workalchemy.com to schedule your business impact assessment. It's my gift to you. Join us for more episodes, subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Rate and review it on Apple Podcasts if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of leaders like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.